Welcome to the Financial Purpose Podcast. All opinions expressed by me or guests of the podcast are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Life Moves Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any financial or investment decisions. Clients of Life Moves Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, I'm your host, Dale Schaefer, and here's another great episode starting now. Let's go. And this is episode 22. Today is Tuesday, May 9th. The debt limit is all over the news today, so let's talk about it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what the debt limit is, how it works, kind of what we're up against, and uh, some of the players involved, and really how I think this negotiation is going to go down. Uh, as it does time after time after time, it's a whole lot of drama, and uh, and here we are. So uh, as I said, the debt limit's all over the news. Now, going back, uh, Congress, prior to World War One had basically free reign over our country's finances. They could make, uh, they could issue debt, they could make deals, they could do all of that. And then in 1917, the debt ceiling was created uh, during World War One, and it was to make the federal government more fiscally responsible and just to put another check and balance in place. So the debt ceiling is basically the maximum amount of money that the U.S. government via the Treasury can borrow uh, by issuing bonds. The Treasury Department, uh, if they can't raise the debt limit, must find other ways to pay the expenses uh, once they get that debt limit reached. Otherwise, there's a risk that the U.S. will default on the debt. And that's what all the news is, is the talk of default and what happens if the U.S. defaults and how is that going to work. And so there have been a number of shutdowns over the debt. This has happened several times where, you know, we have the government shut down for a couple of hours or even a couple of days. It's a big deal. Um, and, uh, the shutdowns of course are the results of conflicts between negotiations of uh, the white house and Congress. And often the debt ceiling is used as leverage to push budgetary items, which is what we're dealing with this time around, much like every other time around. And depending on who's in the white house and who's in Congress, uh, will very much dictate how those negotiations on agendas go. So the debt ceiling cap is currently at uh, $31.4 trillion. We hit that all the way back in January, uh, but the Treasury Department under uh, the leadership of Janet Yellen uh, have used, quote-unquote, extraordinary measures to provide the government with more cash. Now, there's a lot of different ways that they can do that, and, uh, of course, the biggest way traditionally is going to be issuing bonds. Uh, but once they hit the debt ceiling limit, they can't issue any more new bonds. Um, and so here we are. According to the Department of Treasury, since 1960, Congress has acted 78 separate times to permanently raise or temporarily extend or even revise the definition of the debt limit. And 49 times that's happened under Republican presidents and 29 times it's happened under Democratic presidents. Congressional leaders in both parties have recognized that it's important to get this deal done, and, and that's really where we are now. And speaking of politics, as of yesterday, uh, Reuters reported that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has been reaching out to uh, United States business leaders and other financial leaders to explain how catastrophic she believes that a U.S. default on the debt would be, um, 
sources are not saying who exactly she's reaching out to. We can probably name some names and, and strike pretty darn close to the iron there. Um, but she's basically saying, uh, just like the entire Biden administration is, that um, we've got to get some pressure on the opposition, which in this case is the Republicans, to raise the debt ceiling without conditions because the White House is very firm that they are not negotiating budgetary items. Uh, they would be happy to negotiate them after the 2024 election. Isn't that so grand? So they're basically saying, raise the debt limit. Let us keep doing business. Stop trying to get other items pushed through or restrict other things. This is not a, this is not a budgetary hearing. This is a debt ceiling hearing. Now, to some people, it is a budgetary hearing because we're talking about we've hit the debt ceiling time and time and time and time again. And uh, and Janet Yellen's basically saying that's nice, but you can't have these kinds of talks with, quote, a gun to the head of the American people. End quote. How's that for a quote? I, I don't know that I think if she had to do it again, she probably would choose different words there. But anyway, um, she's basically saying that, you know, we need to get this done and you're insisting on doing it one way. Um, spending cuts and, and we're just trying to continue business. So it's really interesting from the standpoint of the politics because, you know, we're in 2023, we're in May, uh, the election is still a year and some change away, but the election cycle is about to start. And so no matter how this goes down, uh, there will definitely be part of the pandering by both parties. Make it, make no mistake, both parties are going to try to get mileage out of stuff like this, um, and they're going to start ramping it up on the campaign trail. So, um, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's in a he's he's in a he's in a tight spot. Um, as uh, I was watching over the weekend, I watched uh, "Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?" Where art thou? And, um, and of course, uh, Ulysses Everett McGill uh, from that movie, and that would be George Clooney's character. He says, oh, we're in a tat spot. So Kevin McCarthy's in a tat spot. And failing to raise the debt limit in the next three weeks could be absolutely catastrophic for the U.S. economy. But neglecting uh, to secure the desired spending cuts that the Republicans have could cost him his gavel as Speaker of the House. Now, um, he negotiated some concessions. Remember, it took 15 votes to get him confirmed as speaker, which is ridiculous. I mean, I know that like from an historical purpose, that's happened before. But I mean, I just I got to think that if it takes 15 different tries to get even your own party um, to elect you, I, I've got to think that we've got, we, we've got some problems. Maybe we've got the wrong guy. Maybe our politics are too divisive, whatever it is. But one of the negotiations is that, um, the Congress, and this is any member of the house in specific. Remember when I say the word Congress, that encompasses both the house of representatives and the U S Senate. So that those two together make up the houses of Congress, so any member of the House of Representatives, which, of course, is where the speaker presides, um, they have the ability to trigger what's called a motion to vacate in any member of Congress. Uh, I'm sorry, any member of the House. I just made the mistake myself. Any member of the House um, can can activate this. And um, 
basically what would happen is that uh, he has McCarthy has some critics. Uh, he has some hardline critics in the Republican caucus and um, they have the power to trigger this motion to vacate if he fails uh, to cut a deal that the Republicans are happy with. And um, certainly if that deal appears too liberal um, for what they want in their spending cuts. So if there are no spending cuts or if they feel like it's too liberal, uh, they can very, very easily do this motion to vacate and, uh, and get them out. So any member of the house can do it. It's a privileged revolution. They can declare that office of the speaker vacant Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. And it only needs a simple majority of the house, which is only 218 members. And, um, that's not going to be hard to get, especially if you get every single Democrat and enough Republicans together, um, that, that can happen. So he, he's in a tough spot. He wants to hold on to a speakership. Biden, however, President Biden wants the debt ceiling raised, no strings attached. He's already saying we're not negotiating. Uh, the White House is failing to call what's happening today. By the way, there's a big meeting in case you haven't seen the news. There's a big meeting that's starting today with Republican leadership and with the White House. The White House is they're really not wanting to call it a negotiation because they're saying this isn't a negotiation. Just do it. Like, I, what are you waiting for? And the Republicans are saying, oh, no, this is absolutely a negotiation, because if we're going to keep raising our debt limit, we're going to we're, we're going to talk about spending cuts because we need to get fiscally responsible here. And the White House is saying we're not we're not doing that at this time. Just get the deal done. Um, so he wants to hold a seat. Biden wants no strings attached. Republicans want spending cuts and they're going to hope to negotiate a deal, even if that's not what everybody wants to accept that it is. So wherever you stand politically is completely irrelevant to the fact that this is always, always more about politics than it is the economics or the business of the country. It's always about politics. And that's true every single time the debt limit is reached. And it doesn't matter who's in office. This kind of fight's going to happen. And as a reminder, by the way, this is the public credit that they're negotiating around. This is, this is my tax dollars your tax dollars that they're pledging on our behalf on the good. Now they call it the, uh, the good faith and credit of the U S government. But, but let me just tell you, my opinion is that there's nothing in this country, not a thing that is government funded because the government has no money directly. The only way that the government has money is if number one, they levy taxes, which they do from the people to fund the work of the government on the people's behalf, or the one thing that we don't control is how much money they're printing. So they can either turn on the printing presses or they can levy taxes. But either way, it's not their money that they're playing with. It's ours. And so you just need to remember that. Um, so what happens, by the way, if they don't get a deal done and the U.S. defaults on its debts? So right now we've got all kinds of representatives pick your favorite representative of the uh, house of representatives anyone who's in in the house um and uh they they are on twitter they are in town halls they're on probably tiktok or you know Snap, wherever they are snapchat youtube whatever they're talking about this and they're they're slinging mud it's the other side the other side if they would just pass this thing without all the strings, we'd be fine. 
The other side says, if they would just cut spending, then we could get to these things slower and stop all this drama around it. And quite frankly, both sides are causing drama. But if they don't get it done, then there's uh, some analysis that's been done by Moody's. And if you remember Moody's all the way back in 20, uh, I think it was 2013. It was a year before, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2011. That's right, 2011. It was the year before President Obama's second election. And uh, President Obama and then Speaker of the House John Boehner, a Republican, were going back and forth about this. And they got a deal negotiated literally at the last minute. They got it figured out. Um, But at that point, even just the talk of the default was enough for Moody's to actually downgrade the credit rating of the United States. First time that it ever happened. And uh, so same organization, Moody's, um, they basically are predicting that a default would shave something like 4% roughly from the U.S. GDP, uh, our gross domestic product, and would probably see an impact in the stock market. They're estimating that stock prices will fall by a third. That all sounds really scary. Um, and they're estimating that the you know companies in the United States would have to slash somewhere around 6 million jobs. Now, we know, because um, I talked about this in the prior episode, that the target for unemployment, according to the Federal Reserve, is 4.5%. We're currently at 3.5%. And I said that it would take about a million and a half jobs to get us back to 4% unemployment. So if you go 6 million jobs... Now we're talking somewhere six or higher percent of unemployment, and now we're right back to a scenario that probably looks, feels, and smells exactly like the great financial crisis in 2007 through 2009. So that all is sucky. Like the, I hate the, the sound of all of that, and you should too because it's just terrible. Um, a breakdown in our creditworthiness again as the United States, um, it could cause a credit freeze. It could cause... Uh, foreign investors to basically kind of stop taking on U.S. debt, which is very important for the entire global economy. Um, It would have some problems for the dollar, which has been the reserve currency. And of course, there's a lot of uh, challenges to that reserve currency status. And there's a lot of countries that would love to have their currency or a collective currency like we're hearing, you know, with China and uh, Brazil and Russia and India, you know, the BRIC nations, if you will, trying to get together. And uh, China especially wants uh, to be able to have the uh, Remnibi be the reserve currency for the petrodollar or for oil buying, basically, is what that means. And so, um, there, you know, the dollar is, is certainly up to challenge. And the more that our leaders mess around like this, I almost said a swear word there, the more they mess around like this, Um, The more it puts that reserve status in jeopardy, the more that it makes us look like complete idiots on the world stage. Um, So they've got to get this figured out. Um, You know, it, of course, the other thing uh, here at home, so that those are like the big macro things, you know, here at home, the biggest impacts are going to be that it would prevent the government from being able to carry out their duties. Of course, a lot of government workers would have no paychecks. Um, we would have potentially issues with getting social security checks out on time, maintaining national defense, um, you know, funding different parts of the public system, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a big, it's a big deal, but 
I'm going to tell you that I believe that a default is unlikely. Why? Because it's never happened. And I know anything's possible, but nobody wants, truly, nobody wants a default of the U.S. government. And like I said, even though China would want to do what China wants to do, which is be the, you know, the big boy in the room, um, their, their economy is not strong enough and neither are the collective bricks or anybody else for that matter to step in and fill a vacuum like that. They're just not there. They don't have the right, um, they don't have the military strength. They don't have the economic strength. In fact, the GDP of those four nations, um, Brazil, Russia, India, and China collectively equal just a little bit more than the current GDP of the U.S. So we're, we're not talking about equal players here, right? Um, so a default is not likely. No one wants it. I think that McCarthy and Biden will, they'll reach a compromise and, or they'll reach a compromise is what I meant to say. It will not be a compliment. They'll reach a compromise. They will not compliment each other. Um, in fact, I think the parties are going to fight about it for the next year and a half. We're going to get sick of hearing about it. They're going to do it in the public square on Twitter, on TV, and the commercials are going to be nasty again. Um, especially if we get the same two freaking presidential candidates, if we have another Trump and Biden, uh, election god help us all because that clearly indicates I'm, I'm telling you this from my view a biden and trump election clearly indicates that the two parties have absolutely zero interest in doing what's right for the country and it means that we're just we're, we're out of fresh ideas and the only thing that we can do now is pander to the division that is already so rampant in this country, and it's all because of stupid-ass politics. There, I did say a swear word, and it is. It's just dumb stuff. So a default would be bad. That presidential scenario that I talked about would be really bad. Uh, unfortunately, I think that's where we're going to be headed. I hope that the parties can actually find two better people in this country. Do we not have two better people? And hopefully we have two better people than the 495 or however many people are sitting there in the seats of both the house and the Senate, because those people right now are not, they're not operating largely in our best interest either. A lot of them are interested in keeping their seats first. That's their first priority. And then second scoring political points on the opponents when they can, so that they can keep their seats and see this perpetuate. So anyway, politically for the, um, for the Democrats, it's bad. Because if they if they are the ones who cause the default, um, or at least if it's perceived that they're the ones who cause the default, then they run the risk of losing seats and also the White House. Um, and for the Republicans, it's politically bad because really for the same reasons, but they would automatically and very easily be blamed for any resulting economic setbacks. Uh, it's an awful lot of political theater, and like I said earlier, it will be used to kick off the, the campaign season. That is just right around the corner. So, again, as uh, Ulysses Everett McGill from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou uh, would say, we're in a tight spot. Oh, we're in a tight spot, and we are in a tight spot. So, uh, that's, that's all I have. Um, I could probably go on for another hour with my opinions on the political side of this thing. I could certainly go on about the economic side of this thing. Um, but I'd love to hear what you think. So 
If you have uh, thoughts or questions about the debt ceiling, about the um, economic implications, the political implications, please drop a comment. Um, of course, you can also send an email to info at lifemoveswealth.com if you'd like to talk further about how this all relates to you directly. Um, so that's all I have on the debt ceiling. We'll keep watching the news. You may hear more about this in another episode, depending on how this shakes out. Um, but in the meantime, let's all just uh, take a minute and maybe say a prayer for the people in Washington who are uh, talking today that they would actually do um, good, honest work on behalf of the American public, if that's possible. Let's hope so. All right. That's it. Drop a comment, like, subscribe, share, send an email. And until next time, take care. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Learn more about your financial purpose at lifemoveswealth.com.